In this episode of The Ziggler Show, I asked this question. For those of you in business for yourself, whether full-time making millions or a side hustle making a buck or two, where are you strongest in your business and where are you weakest? Tom Ziegler and I talked through the comments and what you'll hear is really just a full circle of admissions. I mean, one person's great at sales and poor at admin while another's wonderful at admin and struggles in sales. And I believe you'll find yourself taking comfort in the reality. You can't be strong in everything and yet you still can succeed in business. A primary takeaway from the discussion is the value of spending as much time as possible in your strengths and getting as much help as possible where you're weak. While at the beginning of a business, we do need to wear a lot of hats and have some competency. We can't be the most competent at everything. Well, welcome everyone. I'm Kevin Miller, and I'm so privileged to host three podcasts that have now surpassed 50 million downloads. They're all for people who want to truly grow and change and find fulfillment and joy in their lives, like you. This podcast is a Ziggler show where we focus on professional development and succeeding in our careers and businesses. Every week, I talk with people who have had great professional success doing something they truly care about that serves others. And then I have the weekly sessions with my co host, Tom. Tom Ziegler, where we take and discuss listener comments and ultimately bring you episodes that showcase what really equips you for lasting success in your work. In my other podcast, The Motive Podcast, we get to the root of all desire, our reasons. Our motives fuel everything we do, yet we're generally unaware of them. In the latest episode, number 20, I'm going to give you a massive paradigm shift by helping you take full responsibility for everything in your life simply by replacing one word you say over and over all day long that's robbing you of your personal power and fulfillment. That sounds gimmicky, but hey, I don't do gimmicks. Then in my True Life podcast, where we address our health and wellness, which is your vehicle for all you do. And if your body and mind are compromised, so are all your efforts. So we want to get you strong. In the latest episode, number 62, we dig into diabetes. Over 50% of Americans now have prediabetes or diabetes. And in this show, you're going to get clarity on what can safeguard you from being at risk. You can find all three shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. Tom, I think I came to this question just because it's so, maybe it's more prominent on my mind as time goes by about my overall strengths and weaknesses, but in business, especially different than personal. I mean, you know, everybody's taking personality profiles and you take one with your spouse. And if you have a weak area, you want to shore that up. You don't want to just say, Hey, I'm what I am. If I'm a bad communicator, you know, with your spouse, you should, you know, communicate more. And how can you both have affirmative action towards each other in business? However, as you well know, and espouse and advocate, we're generally best to flourish in our strengths and get help with our weaknesses. I'm not ever going to look for making myself a CPA. I'm, it would be a waste of time. I'm going to flourish over here and get help here. But, you know, just in asking and thinking about small business, which you deal with every day with so many people, you know, to know that where are you strong, where are you weak and what to do about it. So that was really the flavor of what I put in here. And, and I, I, I don't always do this, but I went first. I did the first comment and said, Hey, I'm strongest in visioneering and, you know, seeing an opportunity I'm weakest in the ongoing operations and admin. That was the comment that got the most 
consecutive responses of people going, me too, Jennifer Meisel, me too. I'm strong in decision-making, weak in the discipline of mundane tasks. Uh, interest, what, when we ought to come back to that, her saying mundane, but Renee uh, Vidor, Kevin Miller, ditto this, Charlotte, same here, Bonnie, bingo, that's me too. Terry Johnson, he, he's a businessman down in Australia. He says, same as you, Kevin, great with client interaction, financial advice and strategy, and I outsource or delegate or automate anything I'm weak at, admin, et cetera. I guess I'm an ideas man and have more of a big picture mindset. So here's my premise I'll throw at you, or my thought on that is entrepreneurs, small business people. If we look at personality styles, right? I think a lot of people think entrepreneurs are a certain personality style, which I push back on a little bit. But if entrepreneurialism is more of a risk, which we're going to get into here in a second, because a lot of people talked about risk is a bit of a risk. There is a personality style that is more prone to go after risks. However, I don't believe that personality style is necessarily the best entrepreneur, the best at running a business. They're just more prone you know, to do it. So this right here, maybe that's why I got more feedback. We have a lot of people who are prone to see an opportunity and take the risk and go after it. And they, by proxy, all have the similar weakness of they're not so good at, and I'm just going to cover it all and say, they're not so good at maybe running a business. They're good at a good idea, starting a business, maybe even getting some traction, but they're not necessarily the best at running a business. What do you think? Well, definitely, if somebody is more of a driver, more of a risk taker, uh, they move at a faster pace. You know, I think Michael Gerber talked about it in yeah. the e-myth that a lot of times uh, a worker will have an entrepreneurial seizure. seizure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I cut my teeth on that book. Yes, where they'll say, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I'm working for somebody. They're taking the majority of the money and I could do it better than them. And they don't even respect me. I'm done with this. I'm going to go do this myself. And then they start their business. And then all of a sudden they've got payroll and insurance and all this equipment they've got to invest in and they need a location and they've got inventory and they've got to figure out how to invoice somebody and it's all these details. Mm -hmm. And so the person who's more likely to say, hey, I can do it on my own is also the one who's likely to start their own business. But here's the thing, all of those things that I just mentioned, they, they can be learned. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we know, Gallup talks about it, even in an employee situation, if somebody comes to work at a company the happiest, most satisfied team members are the ones who take on the responsibility. They do every aspect of the job, even the things they don't like. That's not like a natural gift. And then over time, leadership recognizes it and starts replacing the things that are not natural, that they're not good with, with things that they are natural in. And so Five or 10 years later, that person kind of has their custom job. Yeah. Well, as a business owner, if you're going to start your own business, you've got to think the same way. You're it. You've got to do it all in the very beginning. And then as soon as you start identifying those weaknesses and blind spots, as you grow, that's where you find somebody else to come in and help. Could yep. be a contractor, could be, you know, if you don't like to do accounting, you could outsource your accounting. There's, these are all things that you can do. But the people who are prone to the seizure yeah, 
<laughs> and say, I could do it. Yeah, a lot of them are visionaries. A lot of them are sales oriented. A lot of them are creative uh, get or done types that aren't detail oriented, but that's not, the, everybody's different. So it's not the case every time. Well, and I do, again, I want to point that out. I've, I've been ringing that bell for a long time that entrepreneurs often get, people often discount themselves having the ability to be an entrepreneur because they don't view themselves as that, the right personality type, the risk taker, the outgoing, the whatever. And I think that's an unfortunate misnomer that those type of people may be the ones more prone to go start a business, but yeah, they're not necessarily the ones that run a business. My, my, uh, fellow peer entrepreneurs that I know who are not that necessarily personality style. They're more detail oriented. They're better at the admin and, and, uh, maintenance. I see running more consistent businesses, uh, as well. But it's interesting too, what you said, you know, hiring people to get help. Jennifer saying, you know, she's weak in the discipline of the mundane tasks. I'll never forget hiring my first assistant uh, years ago and realizing that these tasks that I so struggled with were not mundane to her. She was a rock star. She rocked my business. She enjoyed it and she was so efficient and it really changed my paradigm on, you know, the value. It's kind of like the biblical aspect of the, the body of Christ. What's more in, important? Well, you know, I, I don't think about my leg, but without it, I'm hurting. I mean, they're, they're all equally, you know, important. You did mention, Michael Gerber, he wrote the book, The E-Myth, probably 35 years ago, something like that. It's been, a long time ago. I, think, I don't know what. I think it's now The E-Myth Revisited. And right. it's a t- I haven't mentioned that in a while, and I don't know why, because it's a top-shelf business, business book. If you have gone into business for yourself, if you're early on, actually, if, any, ask, if you're in business at all and haven't read that, it's one that I would put up there at the top. Uh, to recommend because, you know, in that looking at, if I'm going to go to business for myself, okay, my, I talk about him all the time, Randy James, uh, your doc, my doc, my co-host in the true life show. He, for many, uh, most of his life decidedly did not want to be a businessman. Today, he's a businessman. It's the title that best fits him though. He it's because he's called that because he runs a business. He owns and runs a business. So do I. I always have. But even to my wife's credit, she finally one time, it's probably 10 years ago, she said, honey, you know, honestly, I know that you're, you know, the consummate entrepreneur. You're not that good of a businessman. <laughs> and at the time it was said in all love. And she's right. If you take business overall, I know a lot of people like, like you and Howard Partridge, who, man, you really know business overall. I'm not that good or knowledgeable in business overall. I have a couple lanes I'm really good at, and I get help with the others. That's what makes me be a, quote, successful businessman, because I get a lot of help. But I'm not the person you hire for your overall business. I'm, a, I'm good in a couple spots. But, and we're going to come back to that over and over. The point here is to know, let's say awareness is number one, know where you're good, know where you're weak and get help. So let's go down through a couple more here or more than that. Um, Mo Skelton, he says, I'm great with people. I love people. I'm terrible with numbers. I hate numbers. I will take risks, but I'm not good with marketing. Chris Nordyke, I'm strongest in the people work, weakest in the process work. Jessica Smith Moyer, one of our ZLC, Ziggler Legacy Certification uh, coaches. She says, I'm strongest in personal connections, uh, social media, uh, and, and we had a bunch of people who talked about that. I'm good with 
people. And I'd say like, I know with Jessica, her personality type, she really enjoys people and enjoys that. I would say I'm good with people, but it's not my, it's not what gives me energy. She is one of those outgoing people. She seems to be who really does get energy, but again, good with people, man, those folks from an entrepreneurial standpoint are really good at getting traction. They're good at getting attention. They're good at inspiring people. But yeah, as we well know, it's like, it's like, be it, think of it as an artist with people. They're really good at that. I may be an artist with an idea. They're artists with people. But then over here, just like artists, they tend to falter on the things that you need to daily. Back to what you said, Tom, they have that entrepreneurial seizure. They're inspired. They got an idea. They can go out there. They can make something happen, but they don't often think of, okay, what does this really look like day to day running a business? Jessica, for instance, she has, she's a fitness advocate. She's a personal development advocate, but that's her, you know, thing is, is physical wellness. And she has, she actually went and bought a brick and mortar store or building outfitted it. And it's a workout place. People come, I think mainly are all ladies. I think it's maybe exclusive. Yes. She's also doing uh, coaching. Yeah. Uh, people that who come and she's also helping women, uh, you know, in career coaching and things like in, in their, in the development of their own goals and what they want to achieve. Yeah, but her fitness studio, uh, of course, the pandemic has, you know, caused yeah. a lot of pivots. She's still having that, but she's doing well because she's adapted. So she's got a powerful community that she's built. Uh, and, you know, she's but she's had to look at things from a lot of different angles in the process of all the things that happened. And she got help. She came to, you know, ZLC and got help there and she's getting help otherwise because she's not only, so here she is, she has this, this passion for people. She has this ex expertise in fitness and now just with personal development, you know, overall, but the way she did it, she went and bought a facility. So she's now a landlord. Uh, she's taking care of the plumbing and whatever. I mean, she, you know, it's just, the buck stops with her and she's dealing with so much. She has got to get, help. She doesn't need to be on the roof, putting new shingles on her building or working on the plumbing. She doesn't, maybe doesn't need to be doing the finances. Where is she going to get help? But, you know, as an entrepreneur looking at that, and part of my point with this too, I think was, and I told you that Tom was just commiserating with people. Cause I think we get that perspective, especially with the very vocal business people out there who do have a lot of knowledge on business. And we think, man, to run a business, I've got to know all that. And as you said, when you first start out, you got to wear a lot of hats, but to have the feeling of, I've got to know all that is you know, long-term. It's like being a doctor these days. Can you imagine one doctor saying, whatever you got, I can help you with foot problem. I got you. You got cancer. Got you. Surgery. I can take care of that speech problem. Got it. I mean, we wouldn't believe that for a second. If we, we have an, an issue we have a foot problem. We're going to a podiatrist. If I have one, I'm going to a sports podiatrist that works with athletes. I mean, I want somebody who's specialist and just what I, what I do. I'm not going to Randy. God love him. He doesn't know if feet's not his specialty. He's a general practitioner. Uh, same thing in our business. I think if we're going to rock it, we need to flourish where we're at and get help there. But that one there, if you're good with people, uh, good chance that you've got some deficits on the back end. Yeah, one of the things you said uh, right away in our conversation was you got to know where you are. You know, you got to know what you're good at, what you need help in. And uh, you probably saw my eyes avert down. I quick sent Howard Partridge a text. Uh, Howard has written a book. It's a great book. It's called The Five Secrets of a Phenomenal Business. 
And so for all of our listeners, we're going to give that away. Uh, it's a it's an opt-in download, so you can get it. We'll send you that. Uh, and you can put it in the show notes, but I the 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 link is pretty simple. It's just uh hang on just a second. Howardpartridge.com five forward slash five, the number five, like not spelled out, just the number five secrets. So howardpartridge.com forward slash five secrets. I'll put it in the show notes, but for you guys spelling it, it partridge is P-A-R-T, like part, and then ridge, like the ridge of a mountain, R-I-D-G-E, howardpartridge.com, five secrets. Awesome. Forward slash five secrets. Yeah. And so this is what I wanted to say. I want to give you my view and then what the book does. So when I think of a business, okay, so you're... You're an entrepreneur. You've started your own business. You know, it could be like, you know, 12 hours old or it could be a couple of years old. It's a little bit more mature. Either way, I look at it like an archery target. OK, and as the owner, you're the you're the bullseye. And your business is going to do as well as you do. And if the owner's right, the business has a great, you know, a great chance. If the owner's not right, if the owner has some challenges with relationships, with personality, with their physical health, with the way they think, you know, with their finances, anything that we cover at Ziggler on the foundation, your business is going to be a struggle. It's not going to, it's not going to solve your problems. It's, it's going to compound them. And so we always say that a great business starts with a great owner. Mm -hmm. And then, then the second ring of this target is your systems. And you need to build systems in five areas. And this is what Howard's book covers, the, the five secrets of a phenomenal business. The, the, the systems are marketing. And the way we look at it is that's just how you get prospects to show up. You know, it could be social media. It can be door hangers. It can be direct mail. It can be outbound phone calling. It can be a sign on the side of a bus. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is that... that, that Put you in contact with a prospect. Mm-hmm. Sales is then how you convert that customer. <coughs> I'm sorry, that prospect into a customer. So you need systems there. How you know? How are you going to take that lead and, and understand who they are? And then administration is the the, the systems and the processes and the things there that are going to allow your business to run smoothly operations is how do you care for and support the customer once you've got them, mm-hmm. right? How do you take care of their needs? And then the big one, the fifth system is leadership. And that's you, that's the owner, that's the person in the mirror. And so those are the five systems. And so you've got the owner is the bullseye. And then the second ring is the systems. You are listening to The Ziggler Show and this episode on our business strengths and weaknesses. Next, Tom explains the third ring as he's going through these, and it's people. He'll continue right after I share some great products and services with you. The third ring is people. How are you going to develop your people? And here's the problem with growing a business is 
you're, you know, you're, you're doing it all on your own and you start growing a little bit and you, you put some systems in place and you hire someone and you, and you start to develop them. Now you're working in all three rings, right? You're working on yourself, you're working on your systems, you're working on your people. And then the market changes. And so that system you had doesn't work anymore. And so you, you, you go back and you tweak that system and then suddenly one of your people leaves. And so now you got to run over here and this is the dance. And so what we do and what Howard does in this book is you get an assessment that asks you questions in each of these five areas and they will illuminate the things that, hey, you might be doing pretty well, you've got a handle. They'll also illuminate things that, ooh, you need to be thinking about that. Yeah. And in general, Kevin, when you look at businesses, they either need more revenue, which we define as profitable sales. Everybody hear that really carefully. It's not more revenue that saves a business. It's profitable revenue yeah. that saves a business. <laughs> and the other is the business might be leaking. There might be waste and inefficiencies and things that are dragging you down, you know, not billing on time. That's, that means your collections are off or whatever. And so when you look at your business, if you want the greatest return in your business, you got to figure out, well, what do we need most right now? Is it, is it more profitable sales right now? Or do we got to plug some holes around here? Yeah. But you don't know necessarily what it is that you're facing unless like you said, you you go and you say, okay, you're the expert. You've looked at 10,000 businesses. That expert, and that's what Howard is, you know, he's our ex exclusive small business coach. He, he, he can probably in five minutes go, hmm, have you thought about this? Yeah. Right? And that's what happens. And so I love the variety of answers that we've given. And here's the cool thing. It doesn't matter what your strength is. It doesn't matter what your weakness is if you approach it from a systems perspective and you're always focused on what is it I can do to grow the business, then you will either be the resource or find the resource or something in between that because that's what, that's what successful entrepreneurs do. They become successful because they figure out how to plug the holes, how to grow the profitable revenue, how to think differently, how to put the systems in. Well, I wanna comment on that, Tom in that aspect of getting help of having things done for you, even I'm just going to boil it down to even the word delegating. Okay. So as an entrepreneur, if I'm going to be successful, I've got to learn to delegate. We all know that at some point, I mean, if you're going to grow at all, you cannot do it all. And we're here saying, you know, you should not be doing all of that. I, however, want to, uh, yeah, back to commiserating with those people who look at that and go, man, I get it, but have a hard time delegating. Now, one, we hear a lot of times about delegating from a lack of, or an aspect of control. It's hard to give up control. It's hard to trust other people. I I've had that problem as well. Uh, another one though, is to delegate by proxy. You think if I'm going to take this, you just said it process, procedure, whatever, and say, okay, I want you to do it. That frees me up to go do X, Y, Z. But for you to do that at face value, there has to be a process or a procedure for that person to do. I'm not good at processes or procedures. And a lot of things I need help with from an admin aspect, uh, ongoing admin, if I do have a procedure, it probably stinks is what I've learned. It's probably 
inefficient and fairly ineffective. And so if you're the type of person who can create a good procedure and just delegate that, that's great. But if you find yourself in an area where you're struggling, then it also tells you what kind of person that you need to delegate to. So for me, I'm going to have to find somebody. Well, this goes back to the Tim Ferriss four hour work week, right? Where you delegate everything to somebody across the world and pay them $3 an hour and wherever, wherever that is. Okay. We got that concept, but that was always very difficult for me because again, it assumed that I knew the procedure to tell somebody to do. I have historically, and this is just, again, for me, my personality type, my propensity, uh, whatever is I will pay more for somebody to say, look, this is the result I need. I don't know how to get it. I'm going to pay you a higher qualified person more you figure it out. And that's where I am often blown away to find how easy that is. It's like my taxes. I can't believe that they do all my finances and my taxes. And I get a, I don't want, hopefully they won't listen to this. Cause when I get the bill, I was like, seriously, it's only that much. Holy smokes. I mean, I just, it's worth so much to me and it's so out of my league to be able to do. And of course they think that with me, that the idea, you know, to do what I do, I'm sure would feel this, you know, similar to them. Our, our strengths always seem minimal to us and somebody else's seems so amazing. But just on that aspect of delegating, if you, if you're hearing some of this and find yourself saying, man, I've always struggled with delegating. You may be similar to me to where a lot of the tasks, you know, the results, but you don't know the best way to get it. And you, it would be a waste of your time to try to figure that out. Hire somebody that's good. And we have more and more people these days. Well, even like you guys with, uh, you know, with you and Howard Partridge and the business, uh, the boot camp, you're helping people say, look, if you, if here's the objective and we have a process that works even, even according to your industry. And this isn't just a, a showcase just for, uh, Ziegler and the business coaching there. There's other people. We've had a lot of people on the shows. They have great businesses. They do great business coaching and you can pay to learn that process or even to have it delegated. And I'm more prone to not even to learn it at this point. And, and, and again, not everybody's at that place to afford, you know, whatnot. You may need to learn it yourself, but I'm at the place now, Hey, this is the result. I'll pay you to learn it. Even if it's my employee, I'll pay you, you go figure it out and you do it. And this is, and, and this is how, uh, this is the, the point is to get the result again. So just, uh, sometimes if, that delegating may be for you not to just hand over, this is how to do it, but to have somebody figure out how to do it or just to do that for you. And there's so many options. We could do an exhaustive resources list for that, Tom, but it's just a place where I see people who get that concept of delegating fall short as I did for so many years because man, they don't even know what to delegate. I know. And also the idea of delegation strikes fear. Mm -hmm. Because we've all heard of the business owner who sweats and toils and gets everything going, but they're worn out, right? They've literally traded their life to get the business off the ground. Yeah. And then they have this brilliant idea. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring in or I'm going to develop or I'm going to promote or I'm going to turn over all of this for so-and-so to run, right? I'm going to delegate it all. And then they go about building the next thing or, or starting something different or, or, or take a break. And then they come back and it's in shambles. And we, we've all heard that story, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, I brought somebody in and they, boy, did they take the pressure off. But, you know, six months later, we'd lost 30% of our business because they just didn't, they didn't do what I thought they would do. Yeah. 
right? And so we go about it a little bit different in, in any consultant or any coach in the business world who understands systems will say, look, as the owner, you've got to be responsible for putting in the system. Now, it could be that somebody on your team writes the system. It could be that you borrow a system that's already written. I mean, why recreate the wheel if there's some pretty good ones out there and we've got a warehouse full of all these different systems that you can put in. But here's what a system does for you. And I'll, I'll just use it. I'll, I'll just use Howard's service business as an example. Howard gets a report every day and it tells him how many leads came in. It tells him how many appointments his team had. It tells him what the upsells were on those appointments and what his revenue was for the day. And guess what? He's been looking at that for years and he can look at it in like five minutes or less. And he gets a check in. Well, it's really easy to see the trend, right? Because if your leads start going down, he knows it immediately. Yeah. That means there's something going on in marketing. So he can he can have that type of meeting. If the number of appointments start going down, then that could mean the quality of lead is off or the person who's setting the appointment is off or something happened. And if the upsells are trending in the wrong direction, then he knows that there's something with morale or training that's going on with the team. Yeah. On the other side of it, if they're all going up, he gets to make real positive, happy phone calls to people who are doing a great job. Yeah. But the point is, is true. The system was delegated. There's other people responsible for it, but he's not flying blind, right? He's not gonna just you know check in once a month or once a quarter and hope everything's okay. He knows the heartbeat. And so that's what a great business owner does is a great business owner understands, you know what, I've got to build the systems that I know what's going to happen. And then I've got to develop the people who can run those systems. And then I've just got to check in to make sure those things are going. And this is all off of a foundational. This is a great, if you're, if you're thinking about starting a business or you've started a business, a great foundational philosophy is this build your business to sell and then don't sell it. Mm. If somebody comes from the outside and they want to buy your business and you are essential to making it profitable and running, you can't sell it for anything. Mm -hmm. why, why would they want it? They're just, you know, they're just going to acquire a job. If you build it to sell, that means everything's systemized, everything's running. How much time you put in it is completely up to you. You get to do what you want, where you like to spend your time, but then you just keep it. And so it gives you the ultimate flexibility. And so maybe you've been in business a long time and you're like, you know what? I love this business. I'm gonna retire in this business, but everything is in your head. Yeah. You need to start seriously thinking about systemizing it. We've had a number of those that we work with in our inner circle who have had accidents or had life-changing experiences that because their business was ready to sell, they had the flexibility that made the most sense for them and their family, right? Because think about it. Let's say you have an accident and you can't work for a year. Well, you can have somebody else come in and operate it and it's all systemized. It's ready to go. Or 
you can put it on the market and you know exactly what the value is going to be because it's turnkey. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of benefits in that. So it all starts with where am I in my business? What am I doing? Well, what do I need help in? And then how can I start to systemize each one of those things? Well, and again, from just a simple, easy resource, Michael Gerber's EMS is a great place to start. Now, if you want help, you know, putting that together, of course, at Ziggler, you've got a resource there. If they go to Ziggler.com, where is that, Tom? For business coaching. Business. Yeah, with, yeah, with, with Howard. Top of the page. Top of the page. Okay. Well, and again, you gave the URL, HowardPartridge.com, five secrets. If you go get that, you can connect with them there uh, as well. Now, you mentioned a couple times leads, and I want to pull that piece out. Colin Martin here, he says, my perspective is from my job running a chamber of commerce. Most of the struggling business owners I meet have trouble filling the sales funnel with qualified prospects. They lack a system to systematically find buyers. Trey Ryder, he says, I'm strongest helping uh, others, and I'm weak in lead generation. And I wanted to break down sales because you did a minute ago you you mentioned that you mentioned leads is getting people in that you can then sell and there are a lot of people who are good with it man if they're face to face with somebody interested in their product they can sell but they don't get enough people you know in there face to face and we can see the other side too people are great at generating leads but they falter on the actual sale uh, obviously in that in both scenarios uh your dad's book Zig Ziglar, Secrets of Closing the Sale is one of the top, if not the all-time classic, you know, on this. But I think it's good just for people to realize those two people. And then, we, you know, let's go ahead and throw marketing in there, too. A lot of times that all gets put there together. Marketing is how you get the leads in the, sa in the first place. You know, you got a three-part system. You can be good at one of those and not good at the others, but those are three distinct areas. What is the marketing you're putting out? Is it generating leads? And then can you sell those leads? But to hit on that, just the leads, it seems like that is the one. It's interesting here, even in this question, that's what people came to. They didn't say specifically marketing. Uh, they didn't say specifically, you know, face to face selling somebody who's interested. It was the generating leads. And I like that Colin gets that from running a chamber of commerce. So he's got, you know, boots on the ground of seeing that they, that these people don't. And I think, yeah, the people that I always think about it from artist standpoint, I've had some, a lot of good friends that are the, the real art, and I shouldn't say that because I think I'm a real artist too. But as you said, the, uh, the hands on, how did you say it? The, the type of, uh, physical arts, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> if it takes physical artistic skill, I, I don't got it. I know? don't a whole lot either, but those folks, I mean, I've got a friend, uh, who's a, uh, renowned sculptor and that's the consummate thing that they deal with, man. They get the job and they pour themselves into it and they do an incredible, uh, job on this and they get finished and boom, and they get paid. And then there's nothing to do next because they're not generating leads and they don't want to, they just want to do their art. We got it. Now we're back to Seth Godin's focus on if you can't do the things around your, in the business of your art to actually be able to deliver it and to keep it going, then you know, we don't get the benefit from your art and neither do you. And how many people, some of the greatest artists that never could get their stuff together to bring it uh, to market. So back to this, you know, generating leads, how, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a uh, business 101 question that doesn't get a lot of focus. You know, what's your idea? Is there a place for it out there? And come back and go, how are you going to get people interested? It starts with, you got to know your numbers. Um, and I'll just, you know, I'll just kind of go behind what we do. 
we, um, you know, and in our, in the Ziegler coaching system, our goal is to get people to attend a webinar. So this is how I know my numbers. I know how much money we spent in ads to get somebody to register for the webinar. So I know what, what our budget, I know what we spent and I know how many registrations we got. Then I actually track how many showed up to the webinar. Then I track how many of those actually set an appointment. Hey, I wanna know more. And then I track how many of those actually showed up for the appointment because 100% don't show up. And then we track how many of those say yes right away and how many of those say yes over a longer period of time. Now, why are we doing this? By knowing all those numbers, I can, I can quickly learn if our communication is improving or getting worse, if the market is getting tighter or more open. If we are uh, focused or not focused on how we handle those leads. Yeah. And that's all. And, and so when somebody says, yeah, I just have a really hard time with, with marketing. My first question is, well, what are your numbers telling you? And you know what, Kevin? Usually they say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you usually get business? Well, you know, word of mouth and this and that. Well, guess what? We also love word of mouth. In fact, we set things up so we get word of mouth. I mean, we're constantly posting things and asking questions and all those kind of things that kind of get that referral, that word of mouth business. But we always look at that as a bonus. You know, that is, that's just a bonus. Now, once you've matured into a market and your reputation gets out, it can be the most profitable piece of your business. One of the tips that Howard recommends, the most common thing that business owners don't do, that they could do, that would generate more business is to contact their previous customers. Yeah. They just don't let them know. I mean, these are all simple things. And the problem is, is we can't remember all of them. There are so many things to do in a business. We can't remember all of them. But you know what we can do? we can build 10 or 12 systems and the system automatically remembers all of that. And so follow-up strategies and everything else. And every industry is different. How you market in each industry is different. If you're, if you're selling, you know, machine parts for nuclear reactors, you've probably got like three customers. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> if you're selling tennis shoes, you got like 7 billion prospects out there. I mean, you know, it's, and so, so you've got to understand who your customer is and how you market to them. Uh, and the good news is, is there aren't that many brand new, unique, never been done before businesses out there. Most businesses have either hundreds of them already exist and you're going to do it a little bit different in your own way. There's a clue there. What are the successful ones already doing in your in, in that industry? Yeah. Right. So there's there's a lot of places you can go and look. Uh, and then sales is the same thing. The, I remember when I first started uh, working for the company. So uh, I had my 56th birthday yesterday. Happy so, birthday. Yes. Again. So 33 and a half years ago, I started working at Ziegler. And very soon after that, I went to a three-day seminar 
called put on by behavioral science research and it was around sales. And the question was, uh, how do you, how do you sell more? And the top salespeople, the top 5% of salespeople in any industry, they do these two things. They make more presentations to qualified prospects. Mm. The top 5% in any industry, that's what they do. Well, then you have to define what's a presentation and what's a qualified prospect. Because where many people struggle in sales is they have conversations and not presentations. They're not following a sales process. They're not uncovering the need, asking the questions, building rapport, putting in some trial closes, some questions. Does this seem like a fit? Asking for the business, right? That's a presentation. And then a qualified prospect, that's somebody with the authority and the money to make the decision. How many people in sales waste a good percentage of their day making presentations to people who aren't buyers? Yeah. Right? Some, and, and guess what? If you're making a, a, you know, a presentation and they say no, that's a great sign. Because usually the people who say no are the ones who can also say yes. Yeah. So it doesn't mean get up, give up. It means try to understand better what it is that they need. That one there, Tom, is a pet peeve of mine. Uh, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but I had, it's been years, a few years now, had a guy entice me to a lunch under really somewhat of a false premise. Uh, I was so surprised. And he ultimately was trying to sell me on something. I think he, he did the lunch. I think it was on the premise of picking my brain about something. And I was doing it to be altruistic and, and be kind to a business, a fellow businessman. And he took me there and tried to pitch me on something that was so outside of my, it was an investment thing outside of my interest range. that if he had just asked one qualifying question, he would have saved himself however many hours, I think he even drove up, uh, from another, another town. And he probably spent three or four hours that day. The lunch was fairly expensive, all that. And I mean, one qualifying question, and he would have known not to even try. I mean, it was an absolute no, it was a hundred percent. It was a thousand percent. No, for me. I mean, it's just, I was just blown away that how can this guy have survived this long? By not doing that, because I have zero patience to spend a moment or a dime on somebody, yeah, who's not a qualified patient for for my own impatience and and to honor them as well. And that's heck, that's part of pro- podcasting. I just did a, a mastermind for a, a guy's group on podcasting and talked about that just as far as a podcasting best practices is at the beginning of your podcast tell people what it's about. I mean, from the headline to the description and right off the bat within the first 10, 20 seconds, let them know what it's about so that they can discern whether or not it's of interest to them instead of letting, making them, you know, wait till you're eight minutes in to realize, Oh, I'm not interested in this because if we're truly there to serve them, that's in, that will make them more likely to pay attention to the next one. And maybe they are interested maybe they'll refer that one on to others. Now, everybody's going to hear that is going to know about some of the bigger podcasts where the 
host will drone on for eight minutes about selling something. There are some celebrities out there and they can defy best business logics because people are best business practices because people are going to listen to them anyways. But for most of us, actual humans that are not celebrities like me, that's a best business practice. Same thing is to, you know, filter out uh, the people that are prospects or not. Tom, I got a couple, couple interesting ones here. I want to hit before we're done. Chris Williams, he says, selling the work is where he's selling is where he's strongest. Telling people, no, I can't do it because of the work that I'm doing is my weakest area. And I really like that because it was one that was acute to me long time ago, but where I realized as an entrepreneur, as a businessman, what's fun is you do, especially if you're around other entrepreneurs and you're growing your business and whatnot, you get so many opportunities in front of you. And it was back when I, back when we met, when I was running free agent Academy and had these people involved in so many business ideas and so many opportunities that I found that I was having anxiety about the opportunities I had to be involved with so many people in their businesses, people I liked opportunities I liked. And I got to thinking about that and feeling just, yeah, so much anxiety about, Oh, should I invest in that person, in that opportunity, in that idea? And it finally hit me one day of going, you know what? I, I know what, and, and it was really somewhat of a spiritual, a faith-based perspective for me. God's called me to this. I know where I'm good. I know what I'm doing. Let it go. It was such a freedom to just say, I don't have to work. You know, maybe if there's one in a, one, one a year that I'm interested in, but I know what I'm doing. So to look at that and that's one aspect. And then the other one too, is sometimes we're so hungry for business. We're in survival mode that we feel like we have to take advantage of every opportunity out there. And yeah, back to what we just talked about to man, if I get an opportunity to pitch this anywhere, I'm going to go anywhere. Man, it may not be a good use of your time. And I, it really took me a while to get efficient with what I said yes to. And we hear that with, it feels like every guest I have on the show, when I talk about habits and at some point they'll talk about learning to say no, because these are people who are exposed to so many opportunities. Tom, you probably have, you know, a few opportunities per day that you could be involved in that you have to say, that's, that's really good, but I'm going to say no, because I've got really something great that I know what I'm supposed to be doing over here and to stick with that. So that, you know, say no, but that's big propensity there. As a, yeah, I got, uh, one of my mentors, Bob Teedy, uh, mm -hmm. we had breakfast a couple of years ago and he said, how are you doing? And I said, man, I'm doing good. Business is good, but I'm overwhelmed. And so Bob has this great follow-up strategy. He says, tell me more. <laughs> so everybody listening, the great follow-up question is tell me more. It is nobody who says that they're always waiting to jump in with their next idea. They don't ask for more from you. Yeah. So he says, can you tell me a little bit more about that? And I said, well, you know, it's just so many things going on and this overwhelm is really kind of weighing me down. And then he said, another great follow-up question. Well, can you tell me a little bit more? <laughs> Isn't this awesome? So I say, well, so my personality is I'm an S, right? I don't like to disappoint anybody. And I said, Bob, the thing is, is people are bringing me great ideas. And as soon as they explain it to me, I know it's a great idea but I feel the burden on my shoulders mm -hmm. because I just don't have the bandwidth to do it. Mm -hmm. And then he says to me, and this is great. He goes, Oh, Tom, it's because you're asking yourself the wrong question. He says, don't ask yourself, how do I do this? 
your first response should be, who's the best person to do this? Hmm. He said, Tom, most things that land on your desk, it's not for you to do. It's for somebody else to do. And boy, what a, what a great way when somebody says, hey, I want to meet with you to share an idea that I think you might be interested in. If your whole mindset is, hey, I'll listen to see who the best fit to go and do. If I think it's a good idea, who's the best fit? Because let me just tell you, uh, the, the longer I do what I do, the more I've decided to stay in my lane. Yeah. Right? The more I've decided to stay in my lane. And so that's an entrepreneurial, uh, man, that's a hard lesson to learn is because, you know, especially when we're, in the in the exciting launch phase or building of something new and we want to we want to have our hands and everything and you have to in the beginning but as you go and you start looking at the you know these like the assessment that we do and you start understanding the different areas and what what am i good in and and what am i not good in you know one of the questions we 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 always ask our people is we'll say okay here are the five areas and We'll talk about the, the, the four main areas of marketing, sales, operations, and administration. And we say, okay, if, if you're gonna, if you're gonna give, you know, if as the owner, if you're gonna delegate or turn over one of these areas, which one should you do first? Hmm. Which one should you turn over first? And the hands will go up in the room and they'll all be different, except for they'll be consistent. The one that you're the worst at, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And the one that you can replace with someone else at a much lower rate than what you're earning up here. Yeah. Right. You know, one of the things you said there, Tom, about who is the best for this? Yeah, I'll go meet with you and because it may not be not being, not trying to be everything. I, it's important topic to me because I think we have, we're growing past that point of the propensity of a coach, of a consultant, of a leader, expert, author, whatever speaker of trying to be everything for everybody. That if you're, it's a, uh, the bane of coaching, to, I think to some degree that if you're known as a coach and you can help people here, you often, it's tempting to feel like you have to come off as you know a lot about everything. And I think for one, people don't believe it as much anymore back to the specialist we talk about that at the top of the show the doctor you know we don't believe a doctor who says i can help you and cure you from everything we want the specialist that i think we're better off in coaching to adopt that as you said stay in your lane but back when i was doing a lot of coaching and consulting i learned that lesson and learned also that people will pay me to help them find those i don't even have to say that look i will help you let's take business you want me to you want to grow your business all right, come to me. I'll be your business coach and I'll help you in the areas that I know I can help you with in the areas that I can't, I will give you to, so I'll guide you to the best resources out there. And people are happy to do that because if they trust you in one area, they will trust you in another. Michael Hyatt, who we've had on the show three times, the Ziegler show is a great curator. He's known for that. People go to him, not because he's the know-it-all in every area, but he will say, look, here's the best resource, the person, the product, the service, whatever. So you can be a trusted advisor in, you know, and, and curating in that area too, as opposed to trying to come off like you can help everybody in every area yourself. Tom, I got one more. 
Uh, Michael uh, Ida here, he says, I'm strongest in communication and integrity. My weak, weak link is patience. I'm ready to go, go, go. And many people are slow, slow, slow. Uh, I like that because I am, uh, I like things to happen fast, man. If I've got an idea, I want to do it all yesterday. And I love being an entrepreneur for that reason, because I can act on things right away. So I'm going to give kudos to entrepreneurialism for man. If you're an impatient, you like things to happen. It's a great place to be. And it's going to be frustrating as well because you're going to pull the trigger on things. And unless you can do everything yourself, you're going to wait on other people. And I've found that it's also the place where I have to grow a lot of patience. It's a double-edged sword in that. Uh, right now, as you are, Tom, I'm in the book writing process. And now I have given, because I went with a traditional publisher, I have given away some control. They do not move as fast as I move. And I'm stuck there. I don't have to be. I got options. I can go over here, but obviously they had some value that I wanted to uh, align with, but oh my goodness. So I find yeah, it is a double edge. Overall, I feel like I get to run and do what I want fast, but oh my goodness, if you're going to grow, especially as we started off the top of the show, talking about delegating, getting other people involved, you are going to have to learn patience as well. So I think that there's a, there's a good and a bad yin and a yang to patience as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. And I would, you know, I remember I was working with a good friend, uh, Carrie Lowe, and he's one of our uh, speakers. Uh, he's out of Mexico. And, and uh, it, it was at a point in his career where he wanted to uh, move up in the organization and he had the track record, everything, the credentials. He was probably uh, more qualified than the other people. And this is a number of years ago at a, at a place that he's since then left. Uh, but he said, I want to get the, I want to get the promotion. I want to, I want to get this title. And I go, man, that's fantastic. I said, but you realize that it's no guarantee. You, people do weird things. You don't have control over it. All you can control is what you do. So we kind of talked about in order to get that uh, promotion, what would he need to do to demonstrate to leadership that he was ready to do that? Right. And basically it was, a, it was a great conversation. It was really simple, but I didn't want him to judge his success or failure on getting the promotion on how well he did, because ultimately, whether it's being patient or having control, he had no control over that decision. Yeah. All he could do was put himself in a position. So as a business owner on the patience thing, I think it's extremely important that we look at the activities that we can go fast on, that we do have control over, that we can do every day. And we fill our day with, you know, the termite formula, you know, just, just constantly taking the little bites that move us towards our purpose. Yeah. And then the things that we don't have control over, we kind of timeline it out and we say, okay, what kind of inputs do I need to make to make sure that I'm investing the right amount of time to get the decision when I need the decision? So, you know, we don't call the bank, you know, every hour on the hour until our loan's approved, right? <laughs> we probably send an email or make a phone call uh, for an update once a week. Yeah. While they're, right? It's just hard. It's hard to do that. But we've got to understand we've done all we can do. And then we do what, and, and then we don't have the control over it. Then we got to go spend our, invest our time on what we do have control over. Yep. 
Well, hey, I like the I like the topic. I appreciate everybody. We had so many uh, people who responded, and I didn't get through half of them. But I hit some of the highlights that I think are relevant. If you want to go see the rest of them, this was a Facebook post that I put on my personal and the business uh, the Kevin Miller CO page. It was uh, January twenty eighth, twenty twenty one. You can see a lot of other people, a lot of people commiserated back and forth on that. But man, good topics as as you do, Tom. I love being an entrepreneur, and I'm more and more aware of where I'm strong, where I'm weak, and getting help. So, uh, yeah. Well, Kevin, I, I have a confession for you. Tell me. I'm having a lot more fun as an entrepreneur now that we've put some systems in. Mm. And I am focused in on my strengths. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so uh, one last word for our uh, podcast world. Anybody can hold me accountable to this. Kevin, I've figured out the secret to writing a book. Okay. Do, okay. Tell, do tell. So here is the secret. I have a deadline coming and... This book has created, it's not that I haven't spent countless hours on brain power, (laughs) figuring out how the book's going to go, but getting it on the paper has been quite the challenge. And in the world of distraction, it's pretty easy to sit down to write and have the squirrels be running in your office everywhere. I love squirrels. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) this is day four. So on day four out of 40, okay, is... I write a thousand words for the book before I eat. Nice. So no food. And let me, I don't know about most people, but that has been proven to be a motivator. That's uh, I'll raise my hand. That's one of my top motivators. So a lot of times we ask about habits. So my morning routine has changed a little bit. I get up, I check stuff. I have my devotional. And then I put the distractions away and I get my thousand words in four for four. I'm on a, I'm on a roll. And so, uh, everybody, uh, check in, let me know how we're doing or ask me how I'm doing. All right. But 40,000 words in 40 days, that gives me 10,000 extra. I'm, I'm already over halfway there. Uh, but it's, it's really interesting what happens when you break it down and make it so simple. So, If, if I lose 30 pounds, then that means I've probably missed my deadline. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. All right, brother. Thanks. Well, I trust this show has you inspired to further leverage your strengths and get support where you're weak. And thanks again to all who posted comments that make this so rich. Coming up in episode 863, I'm back with one of my favorite all-time authors, Donald Miller. This is the Habits episode, and he proves to be just as candid and forthright as ever. And he shares how he writes best in the mornings. And to best prepare himself, he goes to bed very early, and he no longer has alcohol as it doesn't seem to leave him at his best early in the morning. And that right there is the crux of the good habits, having a motive big enough to inspire us to the healthier decisions. And he really shares just some great wisdom in this episode. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.